This is episode number 32 with Wendy McEwen. Welcome to the Females in Tech Show, where we help women in tech to live a balanced and purposeful life through a career in information technology. My name is Tamara and I am the founder of Fit Collective. In this podcast, I'll explore the challenges females face working in a corporate environment and how to overcome them. Beyond technology, I will also dive deep into self-care practices, how they can improve your physical and mental well-being, and the importance of balancing work and relationships for a sustainable and rewarding career. In this episode, I interview Wendy McEwen. Wendy has developed extensive experience building, leading, and advising businesses on delivering growth through digital transformation, talent, and change management. Wendy is currently the Head of Marketing, Communications and Digital Asia-Pacific at Knight Frank, a commercial and residential property consultancy. Her role focuses on leveraging Knight Frank's outstanding client service and long-term relationships to deliver connected customer experiences across service lines and regional markets. As a senior executive, Wendy explores business transformation and the future of work through practical application hiring for potential, and testing innovative tools and solutions to improve business operations. She strives to keep learning through industry and peer engagement and participates as a speaker or moderator at industry events. Wendy is a board member of the Marketing Society in Southeast Asia and founder of Swimmer, an invitation-only peer learning network for senior women in marketing, media, and advertising. In this episode, we cover Wendy's career journey from starting as an ad tech traffic manager at CVS Interactive to head of marketing and digital Asia Pacific for Knight Frank, the difference between business transformation and digital transformation, the four pillars of business transformation covering people, process, technology, and place. This is so fascinating. The impact of AI on business transformation and future jobs. The skills individual contributors and leaders need to learn to be of value in the future. And so much more. Welcome, Wendy. I am thrilled to have you on the Females in Tech Show. You are an example of what I aspire for women in the tech community. You are so excited and supportive of other women's achievements and goals. And I've never met someone so eager to support other women whilst also absolutely killing it in their career. So thank you for saying yes to being a guest on the Females in Tech show. Thank you for having me and thank you to Joe Gaines for introducing us. Yes, thanks, Jerry. <laughs> now, before we jump into today's topic on business transformation, what is one thing that you're grateful for today? Well, you know, it's probably no surprise to hear, but I'm really grateful for the health of my family and my friends. Uh, in today's uh, era and environment, it's really tough to be an expat. And I have parents in their 70s. My in-laws are in their late 80s, early 90s. It's not easy to jump on a plane and go home if anything happens to any of your family. So I'm really grateful, fingers crossed, that everybody right now is healthy and well and safe and taken care of. Really beautiful. And that's one of the things I love about COVID is gratitude has brought everyone really back down to the basics. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) And can you tell us about a recent achievement or something that you're proud of? Yeah, this is... uh, 
something that uh, horrifies one of my colleagues, but after a couple of months of lockdown and living on here in Asia, we have a live-in help. Um, my, my helper is from the Philippines and she's a really good cook. And with my kids doing homeschooling and on-school holidays, there was a lot of baking going on. And my son's a big fan of Lamington's, a little Aussie kid that he is. Uh, and she was making scones and everything. So we didn't eat very healthy. And, and you know, I was working incredibly intense hours, etc. So in July, my husband introduced a juice fast into our house. And we started on a three-day juice fast and then we did a 28-day juice fast and then we did a 14-day juice fast and now we're doing a seven-day soup and juice. And that's not to say that we haven't cheated here and there and, you know, I haven't totally not eaten food for all that time, you know, almost six weeks, but the majority of the last six weeks I've been living on four juices a day, which is, you know, the juices are curated and, 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 you know, the recipes are made to sustain you. But what it's really helped me do is reset my relationship with food and, you know, disconnect food and stress and food and adrenaline and it enabled me to regain control and discipline over my body, which has then helped my mind be clearer and helped me focus on where to from here. Because now that we've all gotten through that crazy insanity of the first few months, we all need to reset this is probably going to be how we live our life for a while. And so how do we want that? What do we want that life to look like? And that's been a really good way to transition my mind and my body into where that let's get on with it and let's figure out where we go with this. Wow. That is phenomenal. And it's funny that you say that because I, I feel like, and it's personally for me, but if I am feeling self-conscious about my body or if I've binged the night before, the next day I'm completely unfocused. And that's because like so many other women have an unhealthy relationship with food. So it's really interesting that that's the approach that you're taking. I might look into it. Is there a certain program online that you're following or what is it? Yeah, there's a, a guy named Jason Vale and he calls himself the Juice Master. And he actually has a retreat in Portugal, which looks incredible, which I'd love to go to. He has a YouTube documentary you can watch for free where he took a bunch of people with different ailments to the retreat for 28 days and you know it was transformational what they went through over that period so it's quite inspirational i'm lucky because i do have someone in my house who can make the juices for me uh, that makes a big difference and i do appreciate for people who live in the real world that could be a struggle but i think in other countries you can also in australia you have such amazing produce like it would be an incredible thing to do in australia Amazing. I'll provide the links in the show notes for any of the listeners who are interested in looking further into into that. So, Wendy, I am super excited to be talking to you today about business transformation. But before we begin, can you share a quick summary? Now, I know this might be hard for you, but try and keep it quick of your career journey to where you are today, because I found that most females in tech didn't start their careers there and it's something I like to highlight for other women who might be considering information technology as their career. Yeah and you know it's funny because depending on how you define it I didn't actually join the technology industry until 2016. Uh, in 2016 I went to work at Oracle which is you know obviously one of the traditional big tech players. I joined the internet industry in 1999, uh, the digital media industry as it was known, or new media, I think they called it back then, and actually studied tech at university. I did a Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in marketing and in IT. So depending on how you look at it, I've had a relationship with tech most of my career, 
but I officially worked in tech only a few years ago. I grew up in Queensland and went to university at a very progressive university who, uh, where they taught Asian studies. And I went to live in Japan and worked in Japan, which gave me my exposure, my initial exposure to Asia and thinking differently, I think opened me up to empathy and thinking differently about business. And then subsequently I moved to Sydney, worked in hospitality. That's where I got my training in customer service and thinking customer first. And then I went to work for an events company in Terrapin and it wasn't called Terrapin then, but, and I actually worked on IT events at Terrapin. So I worked on IT events. I worked in IT media. I worked on, in the digital media industry, but then in 2016, I went to join Oracle in uh, actual technology. So I feel like I've worked around tech my whole career, but in tech only more recently. Wow. Incredible. And what are you doing today? Yeah, right. So that's an interesting story. So, you know, after 14 years with one company, which was where in digital media, CBSI, CNET, DDNet, you know, I was 27 when I joined that company and 42 when I left. And, you know, I always feel like I did an MBA through my 30s, like a live MBA. And obviously it was constantly pivoting and adapting because the industry in 1999 versus the industry in 2014 was just completely different. So after I left there, I had to rediscover my identity and I had to rediscover what else should I do and where else could I go. And the other problem was I was a general manager from, you know, I went from being the most junior person when I joined in 1999 as a, I was an ad trafficker, if anyone remembers that term. Uh, I was basically trafficking the ad campaigns in double-click DFP, you know, which became Google. So I, I would upload the ads and, you know, report on the ad campaigns for the sales manager. And I started as that in 99. By 2001, I was the GM after having about eight different job titles. And then my entire 30s, I was basically the boss. So I, w- I was never a seller or a marketer or an editor, but I managed all of those people. You know, I had, I had engineering teams, I had sales teams, I had finance people, I had HR eventually, although I did a lot of the HR myself. So I'd never had a specialty. You know, I'd never been something, I'd always just been the boss. And so I didn't really know where could I take that. And I also really didn't want to work in an industry where the revenue was advertising. I was like, if you didn't work for Google or Facebook, then ad-supported business models were going to be struggling. So I went to all different places for a while. I did contracting and consulting and I dipped my toe in a lot of different waters to really understand what was going on. And then recognising that technology and customer experience, you know, really connecting data and and understanding your customer was kind of the future of business. I went to work at Oracle to deep dive into marketing and customer experience tech because there was so much more to marketing than advertising. And I really wanted to deep dive into that. I spent a few years there. I sat in the boardrooms of businesses, legacy businesses, digitally native businesses all over Asia, India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, um, Thailand, you know, obviously Singapore. And I really, really, you know, got visibility to every industry and how every industry was thinking about reacting to disruption, disintermediation and where to from here. I saw the birth of all the super apps, you know, Grab, Gojek. I sat in the boardroom of Reliance Geo back in 2016 and heard their vision of how they wanted to be the app for every India, you know, and how they wanted to accelerate digital transformation for India. And, you know, through all of that, I really 
And also because Oracle was about more than customer experience, it was also about ERP and HR technology and back office and front office. I really started to connect the dots around how you think about business and how technology could help business be more successful and really disconnecting from digital transformation to business transformation. And so uh, about 18 months ago, I joined the property industry. I went to the real estate industry. And that's probably one of the, the latest industries to transform. It's really right now, you know, obviously every industry has been through an acceleration this year, but the real estate industry is, is, has for me been quite eye-opening and an incredible learning. So I spent, I've been there 18 months. I am the head of digital and marketing uh, for Asia Pacific for a UK based company. And it's still very early days, lots of learning to go, but super exciting place to be, especially in the 2020. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing and just you sharing all of your experiences across all of those different Asian countries and industries just would have been so eye-opening for you and I'd love to pick your brains, not on this podcast because we've got a lot to talk about, but such incredible experience. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, like you mentioned, most organizations have forced into a state of rapid digital transformation since the arrival of COVID-19. Can you explain what is business transformation and then how it differs from digital transformation? Sure. And, you know, I think I'm a, I have this saying, marketers, not advertisers, actually a hashtag, hashtag marketers, not advertisers. And a lot of people have a lot of confusion and, and they don't really differentiate between advertising and marketing. And I see the same thing when people look at digital and business, right? And I, I even find it really hard to find what is digital um, because a lot of people immediately think of digital as digital marketing and therefore digital advertising, you know, buying ads on Facebook or these days having a meeting on Zoom. That's not business transformation. That's doing what you've always done using digital tools, right? And so digitization, onboarding your data so it's more dynamically accessible. And when I say data, I mean your customer data, your transaction data, how you do business, what's happening in your business. Still lots of companies have a lot of that information in silos. Uh, Some of it's not even digital yet. Some of it sits in the cupboard behind the CFO. And so there's a lot of process that business needs to go through to onboard that data into a state that they can then connect it so that they can deliver those more effective customer experiences and be more effective in how they do business in terms of what's going on with the seller on any given day. What is the customer actually looking for on any given day? How can the marketers be more effective to deliver insights to the sellers to help actually deliver business growth? What's going on in the supply chain? And, you know, obviously there's massive cracks in supply chains right now. All of that helps the business be more effective to do the business they're already doing. Business transformation is what is the business we're going to do tomorrow? How are we going to earn revenue in five or 10 years from now? If our sellers have been disintermediated by technology, which is what happened in the media industry, when you think about programmatic media buying, and you think about the type of uh, ROI that Facebook and Google can deliver versus a traditional publisher, if your sellers are disintermediated, what does that mean for your cost base? What does that mean for 
if you earned $100 today, how much revenue can you earn tomorrow? So how do you need to adjust your cost base? How do you need to adjust the product that you offer? How do you need to adjust the way that, what kind of revenue you earn to be a business of tomorrow? And technology can help you connect insight to figure that out, but it's not going to necessarily just make you a different kind of business. That needs to come from your executive suite and, and your customer in a lot of cases. So future proofing, proofing who you're going to be and what kind of business you will be and who your competition will be, this all you know, takes a lot more time than just adopting Zoom and being more effective in how you collaborate using Slack or Microsoft Teams. Yeah, super interesting and makes so much sense. And are organisations considering both business transformation and digital transformation with COVID-19 or are they solely focused on digital transformation? Um, it's harder for me to speak for businesses these days because obviously I don't get to see as many of them as I did when yeah. in my previous job when I was travelling everywhere and speaking to people on a daily basis. I mean, from my observation, media was obviously one of the very first in industries to be disintermediated and they you know, they're still trying to figure it out. Like back in 2010, I was working in a media company trying to figure out how we remain competitive and what we needed to do to our product and our cost base to be competitive. And still today, you know, you have this situation in Australia where the news organisations are fighting with Facebook and Google around revenue and who, you know, at the end of the day, the customer decides and the customer is the reader or the marketer, right? And so there's still a lot of pivoting going on, even in an industry that's been transforming for at least 10 years. Think about technology, traditional technology players versus pure SaaS players. When you look at software as a service players, when you look at how a traditional technology player sells, how they go to market, the type of cost base that they have, those businesses are still earning billions of dollars a quarter, despite the fact everything that they do is antiquated and out of date compared to what their customer wants and what their competition does. So there's lots and lots of change still to happen. Um, think about, you know, banks and fintechs, what they're doing. And, you know, what I found interesting, Air Asia. like look today right now, hotels and the travel industry and airlines, they have to think, how do we pivot? What can we do? We can't fly. So AirAsia announced uh, this week, you know, they have 60 million customers in their loyalty program. In most countries in Asia, when you have a customer base at scale, you have the opportunity to reinvent as a super app. You can be the gateway from the customer to a whole range of merchants. And that's what Grab has done. So, you know, obviously WeChat pioneered this, but then we've seen Grab do it. We've seen Gojek do it in a geo doing it in India and now AirAsia have decided that's what they're going to do and a super smart opportunity right so I think lots of people are thinking where to but it's not something that you can do overnight it takes a long long time and I think digital transformation or digitization is step one on a very long journey yeah super interesting I love that and thank you for sharing some of the examples of some of the industries that are leading the way in business transformation and then giving an example of the real estate industry, which you mentioned earlier, that is quite slow to undertake that business transformation. Out of interest, what is holding the real estate industry back from digital and business transformation? 
I think not just the real estate industry, but a lot of industries mm. um, are, are slower. You know, some industries are slower than others to react or to be proactive about where they go from here because you need a compelling reason to do business differently. And if your revenue or your market share isn't deteriorating, then you need to keep earning that revenue. And if you think about publicly traded companies, every quarter they have to report growth to the stock market. You know? And so what's interesting about 2020 is you can get away with not reporting growth. And so in that environment, what can you do? And so traditionally, I think CEOs, because CEOs and politicians, they only have a very short life cycle and in publicly traded companies at least. And when um, they have to have this growth, you know, continual growth, compete against all these unicorns in order for their stock price to grow, the expectations of the investor market are completely skewed with right now, or they were up until now. So I think we will see a lot more rapid change because there's opportunity right now to reset, to think differently, to look at the cost base you've always had and think about how can we adapt that. Um, so I think there will continue to be change as there's compelling reason to change. A lot of companies do have that kind of dual operating model where they do business the way they've always done it and then they test and learn and experiment on the side. That works for some, but not a lot. Like it really depends on the leadership on each side of the fence on how you bring that back into the, in, into the business. But I think we'll see uh, some very interesting evolution come out of this year. So it's an exciting time. Definitely exciting. I am looking forward to it. And as an individual contributor and being in a role somewhat similar to what you were in in Oracle, being able to see that transformation across all of the different industries is so inspiring. Like I get goosebumps watching these organizations transform. Now, you recently wrote an article and published it on LinkedIn and you referred to the typical narrative on business transformation being about people, process and technology. Can you explain how these three pillars are connected? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about it already, but this whole kind of opportunity that technology brings a business, uh, you know, that whole what we've talked about in terms of delivering insight, connecting data, enabling you to be more efficient, enabling you to be more informed, more real-time informed about what's going on in the business, what's going on in the supply chain, uh, what's going on in the pipeline, what's going on with customer satisfaction. All of those things that they are insights that technology can deliver your business if you've set up the processes to feed that kind of information into the technology and you've enabled the talent and empowered the talent to take advantage of that technology. In the tech industry, many, many people buy technology but only utilize 20 to 30% of the features and functionality of that technology because they don't change the process, they don't invest in the people to take advantage of that technology. So it's, you know, there's no magic bullet. You can't just say, I'm going to go buy this tool and then everyone, you know, and CRM is a great example. And I know you, maybe it's not the best thing to say to you, but when you have a whole bunch of sellers in a business, whatever CRM tool you have, 
if you don't give them a compelling reason to put that in their information and, and see who, who you know as a seller and what you're talking to them about is everything, right? No matter what industry you're in, your relationships are how you make money. The trust level with the company and the incentive between you as an individual, the benefit to you to put that information into a tool, the benefit to the company is obvious. The benefit to the individual is less obvious. So that investment that the business needs to make to connect those, silent, those three kind of pillars together to help the business be successful. It, you know, it can't be just focus on the technology and it can't be do the process, but don't invest in the people. Yeah, absolutely. And out of interest, would you recommend the likes of a change manager to help communicate that? Yeah, I think it's interesting, like the role of HR and the role of, you know, I always say I think marketers will end up working in HR because the employee experience, every all the tools we use in customer experience should equally apply to employee experience. And when I think about where we are right now in the future of work and the future of the, the office and the role that space plays, there's a lot of conversations going on around what we use the office for and how we do work. Right. And so working from home, working from anywhere, you know, collaboration, innovation, connectivity, how you how technology helps you do that and how space helps you do that. And I hear heads of corporate real estate talk about space in the same way that I used to talk about technology. And it's really interesting. Language is almost identical but people from completely different spheres and completely different networks. And what I'm hearing is the way to remodel space to help businesses be more effective. And I feel like that there's a role that's going to emerge out of this because heads of, heads of real estate are rebranding as workplace solutions and employee experience uh, and workplace strategy and future of work. And obviously HR is playing such an important role right now in how talent stays connected to a business and you know how you avoid the invisibility tax as my friend Joanna Bloor calls it. Because when you're in this working from home environment and you're in this technology led environment, there's a real danger that people will end up being invisible to their companies if they don't take control of their own future and put themselves out there. So when you have physical space, you can be visible. When it's all digital, you have to put effort into being visible. So I think there will be a role emerge that will be this mix of people who understand those four levers, people, process, technology, and space. And they may be change managers, but I think they need to be more than just about change. They need to be about fostering culture and collaboration, not just about that kind of process-driven, you know, which is the technique that I think traditional change managers are trained in. Yeah, super interesting. And would an example be, prior to COVID, of including place into the other three pillars would that have been the hotspot deaths Mm. so is that an example of what you're talking about when you're referring to place is the hotspotting that became all of a sudden really really popular and that flexible working space is really really popular is that what you're referring to yes and no i mean i think space as a service which is interesting when you come from software as a service right like another acronym that says you know SAS, SAS, but actually completely different so that flex space and that environment of being able to work where you want to work is somewhat the somewhat part of it but ultimately it's more about 
what space do you want to go to? Like when you think about retail, retail's being reinvented from shopping to an experience. So here in Singapore, we have Jewel and we have um, Funan, these two new shopping centers. Funan has a cycling track through it. So it has a co-working space. It has a cycling track so you can actually ride around at lunchtime. It has a climbing gym in it. Retail has to reinvent because if you shop online, then what do you go to the mall for? Obviously, there's lots of eating and eating experiences. So experience is coming into retail at uh, the apple store is the most famous example of retail that is experiential and here in singapore they've just announced another apple store opening so retail is dead except certain retail is has got a long life to live right and i think that's the same in any category and any industry and when you unpack that space and place is a really important part of it. So the new retail, the new Apple retail store is going to be at Marina Bay Sands on an island. Um, you know, so we have a Louis Vuitton store on an island and now we're going to have an Apple store, which is the perfect relationship, right? Louis Vuitton and Apple, um, because Apple is the luxury of mobile phone, uh, of, of tech and then Louis Vuitton. So I had never really considered until I worked in real estate, the underlying physical layer. And the other thing we talk about is precincts. So connecting where you work, live, shop and play uh, and, and having those destinations. So if you think about the Sydney CBD, instead of just having offices, how do you connect experiences so people do more than just go to work? So that was something that hadn't occurred to me, but it really is that fourth dimension in transformation is thinking about the destination. And the other thing people are talking about is your identity in some countries, in some cases, where you work, like where is your office and, and what is a label on top of the building is as much pride to you about the actual business that you go to every day. So I remember when I first moved to Sydney, driving over the Sydney Harbour Bridge going, I want to work for a company whose name is on top of one of those buildings. Do you know what I mean? It's like the building plays yeah. a role in your sense of identity and your pride in the company. The Salesforce Tower in San Francisco, you can't tell me that every trailblazer isn't proud of that building, right? Because that building is just representative of the success of Salesforce. What Atlassian are building in Sydney, I'm sure for all of the Atlassian uh, team members, they have that same affinity and pride and affinity to their company that is connected to that building. So cool. I am so excited for the future. This is just mind blowing and I've never thought of it in that perspective. So fingers crossed I'm still around <laughs> for all of this to come to fruition. So according to the Accenture report on artificial intelligence is the future of growth. The impact of AI technologies on business is projected to increase labor productivity to up to 40% and then enable people to make more efficient use of their time. How do you think this will impact digital transformation generally? You know, um, I was around at Oracle when we were launching our AI uh, suite of products and obviously Salesforce has yours. And what I always found uh, challenges, you know, going back to my point earlier, a lot of data in businesses still sits in a cupboard behind the CFO and data trains data. The opportunity for AI to make an impact on business is immense, but business needs to understand how to leverage it and build the foundation to bring that to life in order for it to be truly successful. And so 
I think that foundation data and investment in connecting your data, investment in digitizing your data and investment in connecting your data needs to happen as a matter of priority. And then as with any technology, the people need to understand how to leverage it and how to integrate it into the business and the workflow. And it will be transformational. There's no doubt about it, right? But there's so much education. Like, and now that I'm out in the real world again and not living, living in my digital bubble, I'm really realising that there's still a lot of people out there that haven't been exposed to the power of technology or the way that technology can really bring benefit to their business. And that comes back to investing differently in how technology companies coach and educate their customers. It's not about selling people tech and then walking away, which is the traditional way of doing it, right? It has to be hand-holding through success. And that's a big gap in Asia. I think not so much in Western economies, definitely in Australia, it's very different because the partner layer is so much more robust. But here in Asia, there's so much more hand-holding that needs to happen to help people get there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so interesting. There's a whole new layer on top of that. Anyway, I actually spoke about it with Debbie Taylor, the CIO of NBN on episode 29 about diversity within AI mm. and how important that is to have not only just different genders, but different cultures and religions and just ways of thinking. Because if we have the same type of person writing that code or writing that artificial intelligence, we're not going to get the outcomes that we're dreaming of today. Yeah. And it's going to be, yeah, it's just so incredible. So it's just another layer to think about when businesses are going through this digital and business transformation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, that's why the, the data, training the data really has to be connected to across the business, across the cultures. You know, you can't develop everything out of Silicon Valley because it's just a skewed view of the world. So, um, yeah. I mean, Google has invested in engineers here in Singapore and, you know, some of the, some of them have engineering in, in um, India, et cetera. So, Hopefully we'll, we'll see that diversity come through, but diversity is such a big issue in so many companies because it's so much more than gender. The cognitive diversity is everything. Many companies aren't open to that concept yet. Yeah, and even just class. Like IBM, when Ginny was the CEO, I remember attending their in-person event. It must have been two years ago now. And she was all, all about hiring both from white and blue collar mm. and the importance of doing that as a big tech organization to have that different perspective within the business to remove the, the potential of yeah. groupthink. And it's, it was just fascinating because you just, I, like for me personally, I never thought of it that way, but it makes complete sense and I'm 100% on board yeah. with it. Even hiring people from... When I went to work at Oracle, you know, even though I thought I'd worked in the tech industry my whole career, I had so few overlapping connections in common with people who'd worked in the tech industry their whole career because it's a merry-go-round, right? Like you work at Oracle and SAP and Microsoft and IBM, like there's just this merry-go-round and the real estate industry is exactly the same. It's like CBRE, Knight Frank, Savills. And, and so that I was talking to our head of HR yesterday, they, their latest internship program in the UK only 25% of the interns are from real estate industry degrees. 
I was like, wow, that's fantastic. You know, like really investing in cognitive diversity because that's how business can really deliver transformation and avoid that group think, as you said. That's awesome. I love that so much. Now, to take it even further, many tech roles and specialties did not exist 10 or even five years ago, and the pace of change is set to accelerate. Now, according to the World Economic Forum Future of Jobs and Skills 2016 report, 65% of children entering into primary school today will end up working in completely new roles and jobs that don't exist yet. Does this mean there's continual need for business transformation? Absolutely. Business and personal transformation. I think what what people fail to remember or don't connect the dots around and what's especially important right now is it's not what the company can do for you, it's what you can do for yourself. And you're the embodiment of this, right? You have your day job, you have every opportunity to upskill internally in your company because you have a fantastic training program and you are constantly learning because your tool sets are always changing. But beyond that, you're also teaching yourself, you know, you're networking with incredible people that are teaching you things and you're teaching them things. And you're also building a completely different skill set in media and multimedia. And that gives you such a broad perspective to bring to your job and bring to the business and help that business go to the next level and help your customers go to the next level, right? It's very holistic, but it's all driven by you. And we're all in control of that. On top of that, obviously, whatever's happening today, like it's so hard right now. Everyone's in budgeting season, right? Like how do you budget for next year? How do you budget for three years in front? Like what exists today didn't exist 10 years ago. And I'm sure what will exist in 10 years is going to be completely different. I mean, my kids were born in 2007 and 2010. You know, we got our first iPad in 2010. The iPhone, you know, there's a lot of keynotes around, you know, the 21 year old of today has never lived without an iPhone, um, you know, kind of thing, or, you know, the, had iPhones most of their lives. So how that changes people, that how the te- talent of tomorrow will think. But I think what is dangerous right now is the narrative around the future of work and the whole concept of you can stay at home to do the mundane and go to the office to innovate, you know, and you can, you can stay at home and do your email, etc. And you work in technology and what do we pitch about technology? You can remove the, the mundane and automate it and enable free your talent to innovate. It's exactly the same language. So I think HR leaders and business leaders need to be really conscious about how they think about work from anywhere and how they think about the disintegration of their talent's ability to contribute to the business if they don't also connect into the possibilities of technology because you have to connect those together to build the business of tomorrow. Mm, That is so interesting. And as a business leader or individual contributor, what are some of the skill sets that we need today to help prepare us for tomorrow? You know, I think curiosity and just um, an open mind, like, like you were talking about group think, like that mindset of this is how we do things is the worst mindset you can have. So you, you have to be open-minded to, to experimentation and testing and learning. And then there's so much available right now for free to learn. 
right? Like there's conferences galore, there's webinars galore. You know, we can attend events in North America and Europe that we never could have physically attended, you know, cost-wise, time-wise. We never had as much access to things as we do right now. And, and all the governments are subsidizing training courses, et cetera, to upskill everybody. Find the time, take advantage of it, dive in, figure out what it is that you want to know more about, what you're passionate about, and start learning. Don't wait for HR. Don't wait for someone in the company or your boss to say, why don't you go do this? Go do it or go ask them if they'll fund it if you need to. Yeah, unreal. And I also think the ability to adapt and change and be flexible to change is a big one. And, you know, companies are pivoting so much right now. And I think a lot of the overwhelm and uncertainty is because people are so used to life and work being a certain way. So really building up that skill set to be flexible and change and be excited about it. Easier said than done, but it's but it's something I think individual contributors and business leaders need to consider. That's the mindset thing, right? Like you have to be open to the idea of whatever we did it, however we did it yesterday may not be the best way to do it tomorrow. But then at the same time, that pivot, you know, a lot of industries are very slow to, you know, do things and they think that everything has to be perfect before they do it. And that's the, the biggest skill is throwing something out there and seeing what happens as opposed to just, you know, taking a year to plan something. Like there is no time to do something over a year anymore, especially right now. Yeah, could not agree more. Now, Wendy, I have loved this conversation. It has been so full of wisdom and knowledge, but is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners before we head off to our closing questions? I think we've covered a lot, as you say, and and I think we could cover a lot more. And I guess I'm really open to connecting. I love meeting new people. I love learning from people, no matter the seniority, no matter the industry. So feel free to connect with me. Feel free to share podcasts or, or books or YouTube videos you think that I would find interesting because I'm always open to learning and connecting with people helps me learn. Absolutely. And what is the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, I'm pretty easy to find on the internet, although ironically, I, I, I was known for a long time as Wendy Hogan, and then I changed my name finally to Wendy McEwen. I've been married for 10 years, but I only changed it digitally recently. It's yet another disadvantage women suffer from is this whole, we have to go through a personal rebrand um, these days because personal brand is everything. We actually have to rebrand our own selves in, in a digital environment, which just totally sucks. But yeah, so Wendy McEwen on LinkedIn uh, or Wendy Hogan, LinkedIn, Twitter, probably the two easiest places to find me. Love it. And that is such an interesting topic because women, they have to change to from miss to missus to ms. Yeah. Why? Why don't men mm-hmm. have to do it? And why do women have to take the male's last name? It's funny. It's a constant debate with my partner at the moment. And I'm like, why can't you take my last name? But I also, I, I also thought, <laughs> I would have thought the social networks would have solved it by, you know, it would have been like... And I remember my, a friend of mine, her brother died and she had this same issue with how do you deal with someone's digital persona when they die? 
because you don't automatically have access. You know, you don't have your partner's passwords to his Facebook account, his LinkedIn account, etc. So that kind of what happens to your digital identity when you die. And Facebook actually has done a lot of work on it. I think since Sheryl Sandberg's husband, first husband died. But the same thing is for women when they get married, right? Like personal brand is everything today, right? Like who you are, you're Tamara. You're not Tamara from, you know, Salesforce, etc. You are who you are. And when you get married, if you choose to change your name, you literally have to run a rebranding campaign. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm going to keep my last name, I think. Well, I did. I, I did for a really long time, but then it got really confusing yeah. because profession, professionally I was my original name and personally on my passport, etc. I was my married name. And then when I was signing documents for work, etc., you know, I'd end up at hotels in some foreign country and it would be booked in the wrong name and then I'd have all this drama at 3 o'clock in the morning. So eventually I just changed it. And it's hard work, rebranding. Mm, that could be a whole nother topic that we talk about. Now, let's change gears and jump into our closing questions. The first one being, what is one thing we can do to achieve gender equality in the tech industry? Amplify and celebrate each other. You know, I've, I found it really interesting when I did finally work in legacy tech. The, the senior women in, those industry, in that industry are super tough. And they're super tough because they've been through hell to get where they are. Like, it is amazing when you work in the male-dominated industries, how much you see how hard it's been for the people who went before you. We, it's, all, it's on all of us to ensure that the next generation, it's easier. We need to make all of you be able to progress and flourish without those battle scars. And, you know, the Obama administration had this famous thing around um, amplification, you know, like celebrate when Tamara shares something in a meeting, say her name, reiterate, reinforce what she said and really amplify it and celebrate it so that you can help um, project and amplify the voices of the people who don't usually speak. Mm, I love that so much and you are a living and breathing example of that Wendy so I'm so grateful that we've connected and you've shared that with our listeners the next question what is one piece of advice you would give yourself at the age of 25 I think I would think more about what's the next job after the next job I've been very laid back about where I'm going in my career and you know trust the universe to take care of me and one thing Joe Gaines taught me actually is be cognizant that you are in control of driving change for yourself and so you know thinking about uh, you are the change kind of thing and you can be the change and be confident don't doubt yourself you know I think it's really hard for women in particular but minorities not just women to to use their voice and to share their point of view and just put it out there because the more that we all do it, the more it will become easier for everyone else. And the other thing I think is everybody doesn't see what I see. I never thought that what I could see was any different to what everyone else could see. But we all have unique experiences and my vision is unique and I need to be more confident of the validity of that. Mm, Really interesting. Love it. And what do you wish they taught you at school, but they didn't? I think drama should be compulsory for everyone because when you think about what you're doing right now, what we're doing right now, every sales pitch you go to, every presentation to your boss that you do, every team meeting that you sit in, every 
uh, parent-teacher meeting that you go to, everywhere you go, you need, and, and even digitally, who you are online and who you want to be online, confidence and presence is where it all starts. Uh, so to be a good seller, to be a good manager, to be a good member, you know, a, a confident, present member of your team, to be a great manager, to inspire people, confidence and presence. So I think storytelling, drama, acting skills, that's what every, everyone should learn. Great. Love it. Haven't heard that one before. So super interesting. And if you could recommend one book for females in tech to read, what would it be? I don't read a lot of books anymore because I'm so time poor. I, I'm the mother of a nine-year-old girl, so I'm really conscious of the kind of media that I expose her to and her potential. There's a really great story book called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. It's an amazing kind of, you know, replacement for fairy tales, inspirational stories about inspirational women. And I also subscribe to these STEM crates that show up once a month for her from a company called KiwiCo. And she just gets these like robot building kits once a month and they have storybooks in them as well. So I think learning through parenting is amazing. And then obviously I find podcasts much more digestible than books. So I would say your podcast is a must. Um, And then I often, when I was in tech, I regularly listened to things like Pivot with Professor Galloway and Kara Swisher and the Mad Tech podcast from ExchangeWire because they really helped me do my job. And these days I'm listening to lots of real estate podcasts and lots of podcasts about space as a service and what's the future of the office and the future of work. So, yeah, I adapt depending on what I need to learn about. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, Wendy, that brings us to the end of our episode. I have loved this episode so much. You have so much wisdom and knowledge in areas that I had no idea about. And I'm sure the listeners are going to love this as much as I did. So thank you so much for giving me your time to talk with me today. Thank you, Tamara. I've loved having the opportunity to do this and to meet with you and to share with your listeners. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like more information about today's show, you can read my show notes and any relevant links at fitcollective.com forward slash 32. That's F-I-I-T collective.com forward slash 32. I am so grateful for this opportunity to serve the females in tech community and hope you find the information helpful and inspiring. My goal is to inspire you to reach your goals and provide you with the practical tips on how to be the best version of yourself. If you did enjoy the show, then I'd like to ask for three things in return so that I can educate and inspire more career-motivated women and male allies. One, please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app to ensure you don't miss an episode. Two, share the episode with any friends or colleagues that might benefit from the content I'm sharing. And three, please leave a review in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app and tell me what you love, but also where I can improve. I am here to serve you and I welcome your feedback.